Welcome to the monthly conversation with Constantine, which I certainly look forward to, and I know many of you have come to look forward to that as well. He is one of the most respected voices on YouTube about, about what is happening inside Russia. Konstantin Samalov is a well-known YouTuber whose channel Inside Russia comments insightfully on Russia's descent into authoritarianism over the last few years. Like many others, he's now outside of Russia, and of course with no idea when he will be able to return there. Welcome to Silicon Curtain. Please like and subscribe and do comment on the videos as it does help them perform in YouTube based on changes to the algorithm. And of course, it will help you not miss any future episodes. Please also have a look at the links to Ukrainian charities that we've got in the description of this video. And if you like the work we do, then buy Constantin coffee and maybe consider buying me one as well. Constantin, welcome. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Fantastic to be and here again and talking to you. I look forward to our meetings as well. And great you know, to see everyone. It's great, isn't it? Every time I worry that we won't have enough to talk about, but we have not been disappointed yet. In fact, we often run out of time before we've covered all the topics. Before we get into the extraordinary things unfolding in Russia, and they always are extraordinary, um, we need to mention what has happened in the last 24 hours. There has been the largest missile attack on Ukraine since the start of the full-scale war. It's reported at the moment that there are 110 missiles were deployed uh, of every different type, except, I think, Kinjals, but every other type is represented. Uh, and at the moment, the reported figures are 30 dead. So this is one of the highest impact attacks and it's across numerous cities including ones that are very rarely hit like Lviv and that has taken a, a pounding as well um let's discuss the causes of it but let's also really recall just the the, the absolute horror of, of what's happening here um Jonathan as it's absolutely horrible you know I don't know what there is to discuss uh, the cause is obvious. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. The Ukrainians did a successful strike onto a Russian uh, modern ship uh, called Novorossiysk, and from what it appears to be, they destroyed it. And um, there are videos all over internet with huge explosion, a mushroom growing out of the ship, and this is a revenge strike. Uh, it's just just horrible i mean I, I don't know what to say that that's it's it's pure uh, vengefulness isn't it and the order would have definitely come from putin this is his style uh he has i recently spoke to a uh, uh this was a very weird interview that i did i spoke to someone who was a senior uh colonel i think in the uh would it be the uh the third directorate of the kgb uh, it's very, very odd conversation and i asked him you know why does putin behave like this what what is his mindset and his answer i think perfectly describes the attack that we've seen he just says well he's an inadequate man and he's also short and skinny so you know of course he hates everybody um and ukraine strikes military targets russia strikes back purely at civilians and you know can we have any doubt that putin gave the orders for this um, Jonathan, I don't know who gave the orders. Um, 
perhaps him. Uh, I know it's just I am Russian and I'm looking at this and I'm feeling pain and I'm feeling guilt and I'm not, this is terrible. Uh, all I can say is please forgive us. Um, I don't know. What else can I say? Yeah, I think we're all horrific. We're all feeling, we're all feeling uh, the, the same here about this. It is terrible. And what we're also seeing, I think, uh, an extraordinary increase in the pressure within Russia as well, as their war effort exacts more of a toll on the economy, uh, as it becomes harder and harder for them to achieve really any kind of success. And, you know, they're making a big deal out of taking what essentially is a small pile of ruins, it's essentially a village, not a town or a city, which is Marienka. Um, they're finding it harder and harder, I think, to maintain this war. Do you see internal cohesion within the Russian so-called elite uh, sort of starting to fall apart and then turn on themselves? It's really hard to tell what's going on inside the elites, but what I am clearly seeing is signs. There are signs that something's going on. Like Winston Churchill said that Russian politics is just like a bite of bulldogs on their carpet. You know, that's pretty much what we can see, uh, what's, what's happening. And, you know, there are a lot of rumors, but it's really hard to confirm them. But what I'm seeing, and to me, that's a clear sign that there is uh, fighting going on. Uh, this, you know, pulling and pushing. And uh, it shows me that, that there is... A struggle between power groups inside the Russian government, Russian elites, you know, however you want to call them. So yes, uh, something is going on. There is also pressure on the lower level, not among the elites, but among the Russians. And for the first time since February 24th, 2022, we're seeing uh, Russians start openly protesting. And this uh, protests come from women, from mothers and uh, hus uh, mothers and wives whose husbands and sons are serving in the front lines. And um, I don't think they're going to stop. I think they're going to be protesting more and more. And some of these people, some of the women, uh, you know, they are absolutely fearless now. Uh, just in the recent days, I've seen videos of women whose husbands died, they were killed, and they have nothing to lose. And they start speaking up and they start, you know, blaming the government, Putin and everyone. They start, you know, saying things the way they are, okay? And uh, this is just the beginning in my mind. And of course, we know that the regime believes as a threat here because it has been reported that they have assigned uh you know quite a lot of fsb resource to tracking following and potentially intimidating uh these groups of women in some ways it reminds us a little bit doesn't it of the kursk i don't know if you remember the scenes of the videos where uh there were women at a at a kind of open hall event, um, really screaming at Putin, and then some FSB officers in the audience just came up and injected them and then carried them away. This is almost throwing us back to 
protests, which uh, which Putin found very uncomfortable. It was that point onwards where he withdrew from these kind of public appearances, public debates. Um, and he's almost remained in that bunker for 20 years. I hope this is now going to catch up with him and there's going to be some uh, some reckoning. I remember uh, the days of Kursk. Uh, I watched, there was much more freedom. Basically, Russia was a free country back then and uh, Russian governments and Putin's take, you know, the power grab started with Kursk, Kursk actually. So I remember the footage. I remember women screaming, yes. Situation was very different in terms of, you know, Kursk was just one vessel and right now there's a huge army, uh, hundreds of thousands of men serving. But the core idea is the same. Yes, I agree. And there's another really quite sort of curious phenomenon that uh, I don't know if this has been going on for a couple of weeks or not, but I've only really just become aware of it uh, in the last week. And this is Ekaterina Tunsova, who has appeared as if from nowhere and become a kind of lightning rod for discontent. Now, she's been barred from standing in the presidential election, um, which is not unexpected, perhaps. But it has also prompted, I think, a huge amount of debate. Is she an organic candidate? Is she someone who's a completely free agent? Uh, we haven't seen anybody really in the last 10 years appear as a sort of free agent protester. Or is she somehow being put up there as uh, either a, you know, a regime candidate to try and test the water and see, you know, what opinion is? Or is it another faction perhaps has put her forward? Uh, it's generated quite a lot of debate and speculation, hasn't it? It certainly has. Um, you know, Jonathan, I consider myself an expert on everything Russia these days, on the politics, on the economy, um, you know, uh, the wartime Russia, so to speak. And even for me, the name Ekaterina Dunsova was absolutely unknown until early November. I didn't know who she was. Uh, she was like... Um, Black horse, I think in English, that's that's a word uh, absolutely unknown to us. Um, and she put up a stand. She stood up and, you know, she very firmly decided to run and to uh, give Vladimir Putin a fight. And she did. And she did very much so, despite the fact that she was shut down by the Central Election Committee the whole thing was farce, okay? But um, I think she did a very important um, step into the right direction for many, many people. Uh, I believe she's an independent candidate. And there were questions, in even I questioned, because, you know, usually someone who is... Uh, announce self-nominates and runs against Vladimir Putin. Uh, usually, that's uh, not very independent candidate. I mean, look who's running now. <laughs> uh, 20 people, and uh, we all know them by names. We all know who they are. She was not known, and some people questioned, said, saying and she was one of them, one of the puppets. If she was, they would let her run. They would let her take some of the votes of the liberals uh, and, you know, uh, 
she would be a part of the system. But they crushed her. And that makes me believe she's for real. That also means she's in real danger. I mean, uh, to stand up like that. Yes, now now she is. Now she is. She's in danger because she's for real. Because she's not part of the system. Because she's the only independent, self-nominated, you know, contender. Um, I don't know if you looked uh, and watched the video uh, how they were trying to shut her down while she was collecting 500 signatures with the representative of central election committee and they were they were cutting out cutting up power supply to the building where that event was taking place did you see that i missed that one but it sounds exactly like the kind of thing they would do yeah the people took out their flashlights their smartphones with flashlights and started you know um, continuing with the uh, flashlights in their hands, and someone brought a mobile uh, generator, a portable generator, and then they got some a little bit of electricity, and they did manage to get 500 signatures. So, but then they crushed her in the most direct, unmasked way, if you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, she has applied to the Supreme Court. And that she was shut down recently, just a couple of days ago, for the second time. Supreme Court ruled out that she, she you know, uh, upheld the decision by the Central Election Committee. Surprise, surprise. But now Ekaterina Donsova is going further. She announced that she's going to create a party, a political party. And this puts her into danger, okay? Because she she's an independent candidate. Any independent candidate not part of the system poses a threat to the system. Imagine this. Russians are so fed up. And when they see that someone, just one person, decent enough, honest enough, you know, even if they disagree with this person's political program, they start voting en masse for that person, okay? So that's a threat to the system. And I think she's in danger now, yes. And you've got a sort of Belarusian kind of scenario there, which Tichonovska. is Tikhonovska, yes. where everybody knows then categorically that the vote is falsified. Um, and even though he's certainly not a real oppositional candidate, the minute uh, Igor Strelko-Girkin announced that he was going to uh, uh, take part in politics and didn't have permission to do so, bang, you know, next day, he is arrested. Uh, so, uh, you know, what upsets did, me, can't see. I'll let you, you know respond that, to that. Did you know that he was trying to become um, a participant of the presidential race as well? Yes, that's right. He announced it from prison, which doesn't seem like a very clever move. <laughs> well, it, it was clever for him. I would say that um, not, not, it was the only, I think that's, you know, the only way that he can save his life because his life also is in danger. So he wanted to come up, you know, put up a fight and then use it to negotiate saying, oh, I'll withdraw if you let me out of prison or whatever, make some kind of a deal. But they didn't let him just to enter stage one. Um, I'm not sure if, if you're aware how he was shut down. He had four attorneys arranged to come uh, and witness the signature process of 500 people. And all four attorneys were intercepted by 
you know, KGB and uh, they were warned and none showed up. And I think one tried to show up and uh, they started investigating his license the very next day. So that's a move of, um, you know, direct threat and a lesson to everyone. Okay. So that's, uh, I personally think Giga Strilkov is a dead man walking. Very much so. We'll, we'll come to Prigozhin, who, uh, you know, has gone on to the other side after taking similar risks. What really upsets me, though, Konstantin, is when I see in the Western media that they report on, you know, um, uh, Zhuganov said this, Grigory Yevlinsky said that, and they report on these characters as if they're politicians, as if they had any kind of agency or freedom of opinion, whereas I think you and I accept that they are absolutely puppets in a puppet show, reading from a script, and the minute they diverge from that script, the same as the propagandists, actually, you know, they are they are done. They are actors in a theater, in a play. And you are absolutely right. It makes two of us. I am very upset about that as well. Because you're right. Everyone from Russian government are taken seriously. Uh, all Russian economists who work for the government release numbers that are cooked in, uh, you know, honorable... Um, Organizations in the West take those cooked numbers and make uh, forecasts, real serious forecasts based on those numbers. Okay, and that's... They don't understand what really is going on in Russia. And as a result, they adopt the wrong policies, the wrong attitude uh, towards Russia, especially vis-a-vis... Ukraine, and of course, arming it to defend itself. Another constituency, which is often reported as if it is a genuine organic phenomenon, is the Z patriots and bloggers. Now, they may have quite a bit more leeway to say certain things, but again, they're all working from a kind of editorial structure. And if they step outside of the roles that are assigned to them, then they're in trouble. We saw that with the... Um, blogger was was blown up in in st petersburg assuming it wasn't uh, ukraine that did that uh it's just as likely that was the fsb just uh telling everyone not to uh overstep their roles but one of the narratives that we're seeing in the last couple of months uh in the sort of zed blogger uh, zed patriot kind of uh information sphere is an escalation of threats towards Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and other countries that are trying to assert their independence, that are trying to edge away from, uh, I would say, the Ruski Mir and the, the sort of, uh, you know, the controlling hand of Moscow. Now, this obviously directly uh, affects you here, and I'm sure you're uh, paying a special attention to this because of where you're based. What's your interpretation of these kind of narratives appearing, threats to countries that uh, are former, uh, you know, colonies essentially uh, of, uh, of the Russian Empire? Jonathan, what they are doing doesn't make any sense. It the the you know these things that come out of the mouths of uh, Z Z patriots, they are so harmful to both Russia 
and the Russians who live inside Russia and here in Uzbekistan or in any other countries, Kazakhstan and other countries affected. This is this is absolutely insane. I mean, this guy uh, who is a Russian official, he's not just that patriot. He is a member of Ministry of Defense. Uh, he is on one of the uh, public committees overseeing the Ministry of Defense. So he's he's a official, and then he says an atrocious thing that. Uh, uh, he, he is to start a law in the Russian parliament that would make all those decisions that uh, disband the, the USSR illegal. Therefore, Russia can take uh, the former republics of the USSR back that are now the sovereign countries. And he names Uzbekistan. And, uh, you know, Uzbekistan is probably the most loyal country to Russia in the Russians. Um, I've spent a lot of time here uh, and I, you know, this is an incredible country and incredible people, very hospitable, very good attitude towards Russians. And, uh, you know, the next thing I know, I walk into a cafe, we have breakfast at, you know, our community of the refugees and the, the, the waiters that know me by name, they, they serve me food uh, for the past year. They jump on me and they started asking me questions. What do you think of this? Is that guy for, 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 for real? What have we done to you? So you want to, you know, conquer us again. And they're very upset. Regular people on the ground. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, I have nothing to say to them. Say I'm sorry. This we have different opinion, uh, and we we believe that you're sovereign, and you know Russia has no business poking its nose into Uzbekistan. Um, but that's my opinion, you know. And that guy is the official in Russia, and he is heard by many people. And then, uh, as you saw the video, he was being applauded when he was saying that. Um, well. Everyone in Uzbekistan, the, the first they couldn't believe it, and then they started taking steps. Uh, they, you know, the Uzbek president just just to to understand what kind of reaction uh, follows when when uh, Z Patriot says something like that. Uh, Uzbek president um, conducted a meeting, held a meeting where he. Um, criticized the policy. Um, he criticized uh, Uzbek television for allowing Russian television to dominate in Uzbekistan, and that's going to change. He said that the role of Uzbek language must be uh, increased. Okay, the local television and local language must be um, strengthened. Uh, and uh, movies and TV series must be produced by the locals in Uzbek language, not in Russian language. Okay, and um, the guy means business. He walks the walk. He made a decision to create a special uh, tax-free zone called um, Uzbek Cinema uh, Cinema Park, and they're inviting uh, the Western companies to become residents, tax-free, English law, Okay, not Uzbek law, but English law in that free zone. And they want to develop their own um, television. 
And it literally happened two days after this this guy um, said that he uh, was started to um, he he wanted to start these procedures that would allow Russia to annex Uzbekistan. Okay, and then um, very many Uzbeks they became more hostile towards Russian because the guy says, "Well, who can um, not allow us to do that after we go?" Uh, we conquer Ukraine and, and have military parade in Kiev. Next, we move to Uzbekistan and no one can stop us. Who will stop us? Well, the next thing <laughs> I expect that Uzbekistan will knock on the Chinese door or an American door, NATO door, and said, hey, please protect us from Russia. Okay. And um, this is crazy. You know, I don't understand why the people in Russia do that, but they, they do so much harm both to the countries and to regular people. And also people in Kazakhstan also got very upset and very, very um, anxious because if you look at the map that Russians cannot invade Uzbekistan because there's no direct border between Uzbekistan and Russia. There's Kazakhstan in the middle. And in Kazakhstan's walk, quite, quite um, big, right? It's yes, but, quite substantial. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, they would have to take Kazakhstan first. Who knows? what the plans are. Yeah, I once took a, a one of those sort of, uh, was it three days, three nights train from Moscow down to Tashkent. And there's there's an awful lot of desert in the way. I mean, I don't I don't give the uh, sort of tanks uh, and, and, and stuff too much chances to actually make it across all of that territory and still be in fighting order. I mean, it's it's a crazy, crazy idea. Maybe the point was to actually make it less comfortable for uh, what they see as opponents of of the regime and opponents of the war perhaps that maybe is the point maybe there is no point but all this poisonous language is coming back isn't it to haunt the propagandists and there's this incredible story this week of one of the propagandists who i find one of the most vile one of the most objectionable um it's not Mardan, he's second most objectionable in my view but there's plenty of them. And this is Anton Kuznetsov-Krasovsky. And apparently he and a friend were poisoned. The friend is reported to have died. Um, but Krasovsky is in a critical condition. What do you make of that? I was taught um, a very wise saying by um, my mentor a long time ago. And I live by it. Uh, what goes around comes around. And it works every single time. It never fails. And this is what happened to Anton Krasovsky. No more, no less. The system that he helped uh, created, cre helped cre creating, he helped created, uh, he helped to create, I'm sorry, um, bit him back. And we can only hope that uh, the same karma uh, reaches the rest of them well let's talk about every time we do one of these we address the state of the economy and we've talked before about oil but russia has formally admitted that actually most of its oil supplies have shifted from being supplied to predominantly the west um prior to the full-scale invasion now it's china and india that are receiving the bulk of russia's oil supplies and even though the 
volume output is as high, if not higher, at the start of the full-scale war. There are some challenges, aren't there, in actually turning the revenues from that oil into you know, money that the Russian state can actually spend on munitions or whatever. Certainly with India and China, those currencies are not interchangeable um, on the international markets. Um, and Russia's got a real problem, hasn't it? Spending that revenue, using that revenue to power its war machine. There are problems, multiple problems with Russian oil exports right now. And uh, you mentioned two of them. There's a very big problem with India and a smaller problem with China. India, um, all oil that is supplied to India is paid for in Indian rupees that are stored in India and that they cannot be transferred to anywhere else. They cannot be exchanged for dollars. They basically can only be spent in India, okay? And the Indians have um, a lot of power to say how those rupees will be spent. For example, the latest development, the Indians have come up with a list of large infrastructure projects um, to be completed inside India. And Russians can invest those money that are spent uh, in, the, in the accounts, you know, in rupees received for oil uh, supplies. They can invest into the large, long-term, very long-term Indian infrastructure projects and possibly in many years from now receive some return, okay? To me, that's kind of crazy. Okay. Russian um, upper uh, parliament's upper chamber, Valentina Matvienka, proposed another very extravagant you know, thing. She proposed to send um, single mothers that are struggling raising their children, you know, trying to end, uh, make ends meet, to send them for vacations to India and pay by the money that <laughs> are stored in India. That just shows you that Russia has a real problem. Uh, it's basically supplying uh, most of oil to India for free. It cannot use money that is paid and china is the same problem only there's um it's a smaller problem there's uh, a large um trade um between international trade between india and russia and um the russians can actually pay for uh, products that come from india uh from china so um but still uh, chinese don't like when uh uh, Chinese yuans are, you know, transferred or spent outside of China. So, uh, and um, there are other problems with oil exports too. And uh, although, you know, Russia did fairly well um, in the last months because of those skyrocketed oil prices, uh, it managed to make good money. That's one of the reasons why Russian economy hasn't completely crashed yet and of course putin visited the middle east it was uh, 
one of the first foreign trips he'd made um, because he could be assured that he wouldn't be arrested um, in, I think it was Dubai he visited. I may, may have got that wrong. Um, or UAE, wasn't it? He, he visited. And he was treated as a um, uh, serving head of state. He was given the full kind of red carpet treatment, which would have stoked his ego. But there must have been a strategic reason behind that Middle East visit. And I'm sure, as you mentioned, um, trying to keep high oil prices, uh, limiting sort of production and output of oil onto the market was a key part of what he wants to do. But it's not a lot of success, is it? Because another story has come in, and that is that the Arctic LNG project, which is sort of critical to um, you know Russia being able to uh, turn its gas uh, output into a transportable product, um, if foreign investors have apparently withdrawn from that project and it is currently shelved. So there are a number of real longer-term challenges, aren't they? Not least the sophisticated equipment required, both the LNG project, but also to maintain the existing infrastructure behind you know, oil, oil wells um, and the specialist equipment required to uh, sort of maintain and extract oil. Absolutely. Um, I agree. Um, I th also think that Putin went to the Middle Eastern countries. First, it was Abu Dhabi. He visited for a couple hours, and then he flew to Saudi Arabia right after Abu Dhabi for another hour. He briefly met with the heads of states, uh, those states, and I think the discussion was about oil. I agree with that. Um, not much was talked about in Russian propaganda. It means that uh, Putin did not achieve any results. Otherwise, I'd be um, hailing that as victory, huge victory of Russian diplomacy in Vladimir Putin. And um, you are so right about um, those ports that put gas into the liquefied gas um, as a big problem. And long-term problems. Russia has lost its best greatest paying customer Europe, the European countries uh, it's lost oil export to Europe completely uh, there's a ban to European countries and it's lost um, natural gas and if you look at the map it's the best location for logistics Russia right next to Europe uh, you can use all kinds of transports to get oil and gas there and Russia had um pipelines in place that were constructed back in the USSR and the Nord Streams. So it was a perfect paying customer and then it's lost. Uh, Europe does not, did not, well, it suffered economically last year, but it did not freeze to death as the Russians were hoping it would. Uh, instead, it um, diversified the supplies of oil and, and the natural gas, and it's receiving needed um, resources from other countries. Yes, and uh, there are also um, market forces that are pressuring Russia uh, in the Middle Eastern countries, and one of them is the rise of uh, oil extraction um, you know, um, in, um, in the United States. That's... Uh, jumped up a lot and it's keeping oil prices low 
So all in all, Russia is in trouble. It's lost its biggest bread makers. And although hasn't lost completely, but it's losing more and more. And there are other troubles on the horizon. We have to mention this topic. Um, we were chatting about it before we hit record. And that is um, that is eggs. There's a little bit of a problem with, with eggs as well, isn't there? And I... I kind of feel slightly bad about laughing because I remember the misery of having to sort of, uh, you know, try and find these products in the shops and get them home, as we were talking about. But there's two things. Seeing the queues of people in Voronezh, amongst other cities, queuing for eggs. But there was this extraordinary film yesterday of a, a, an FSB SWAT team arresting a man really brutally penning him to the ground i think you know he was punched in the stomach essentially for buying 120 eggs illegally at a market and thereby depriving the russian treasury of two euros in tax revenue i mean it's it's both farcical but it's also quite an extraordinary indicator of of where russia's ended up it's a sign of bigger problems to come uh, there's no question about um, that in my mind. You know, I made predictions for the economy for 2023. And I expected Russian economy to fall into a bigger problems quicker. I thought it would be uh, performing much worse by the end of the year than it's performing right now. But I have revisited, uh, you know, my notes, my analysis, and now I am doubling my stakes. I mean, uh, I think that the situation in 2024 will be worse than I ever thought it would be, okay? Eggs is just a sign, an early bird of this troubles to come. Um, it's just to show you that Russian state is sugarcoating a lot of problems, fundamental problems that are existing in the economy right now. And it starts using, like, we used to call it command economy or planned economy, okay? Methods that were used in the USSR, okay? It starts uh, limiting stores in how many eggs it can sell, uh, they can sell. It starts uh, dictating price ceilings to um, producers of eggs. It starts threatening producers. Uh, it starts investigating, sends investigate criminal investigators to companies that sell and produce and sell eggs. And then uh, what you sell, uh, what you said. You, you saw a video of a guy getting arrested yesterday. I mean, this is crazy, okay? The state interferes more and more into the economy. And it's, it's either free market economy or it's not. There's no middle, okay? And we're clearly seeing that it's not anymore. Uh, Russian state is very ineffective at uh, planning things economically. And basically, uh, right now, the, the, the remaining of the, the savings account, so-called, 
state welfare fund is used to sugarcoat to kind of uh, put out the flames. For example, they are buying a lot of eggs right now from Azerbaijan, from Iran, from uh, Turkey to kind of flood the market with the eggs. Okay, and I, I suspect they're using state money to subsidize because in Turkey eggs cost much more than in Russia. Okay, Turkish eggs are just not competitive in Russia. And this shows you, I mean, it's funny, right? Egg shortages, but it shows you that the, the, the fundamental problems with the economy. And oh boy, we're going to be seeing ooh, a lot of unpleasant stuff happening in Russia economically very soon. I, 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 I think it's going to start en masse right after the elections, March, April of 2024. And then if the same thing happens with meat, if the same thing happens with bread, then it's then it's over. That's uh... Jonathan, it'll happen to everything. You got to understand, it will happen to everything. Okay? I've seen that happen before. 1992, when one system collapsed and another system was not there yet. Okay? What happened was complete chaos. Um, the prices were doubling every couple weeks. I remember my parents would bring um, would bring um, you know salaries, and the first thing we would do we would run to stores to buy food because tomorrow than the following day it would cost more. Okay, and it's called stagflation when economy is not growing, but the prices are growing, and that's not a very good situation. And I think it's stagflation is going to be. Huge in Russia. Absolutely. In 1998, you had the same kind of scenario where the warehouses refused to release goods because prices were changing so fast they couldn't keep up. If they'd sold the goods at a certain price, they couldn't then replenish their stock to make profit. We're looking at similar kind of crisis. And this is where it's it, it's it's kind of crazy because you know the stories people would tell me in the 90s are starting to come back and the scenarios that we saw then are coming back and one of the persistent stories that i heard from many many different people uh in st petersburg was about the siege of leningrad and of course you have the horror stories the horror stories of cannibalism the horror stories of people dying in the streets and and the siege of leningrad was 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 grim unimaginably grim and, you know, many hundreds of thousands of Russians fought with incredible fortitude against the Nazis um, when they, you know, finally fought against the Nazis um, after 1942. Uh, uh, but there were other stories which everybody told me, and that was that if you were to go near any kind of communist party building or the you know the central committee of the communist party there would be bins outside there with luxury food half eaten wasted thrown away so these incredible stories about how everybody is living so badly except the elite who were indulging themselves in the most sort of grotesque uh, decadent manner we see a little bit of an echo of that this week in the so-called uh, uh, sort of almost naked party that has been conducted by celebrities doesn't have that same kind of uh you know last days of the roman empire decadent kind of feel about it well it did it did um there are a couple of things i'll talk about first 
I personally wouldn't attend a party like that. I personally, I don't find it attractive. I don't find it decent. Okay. Um, the way that they're handling the party right now, the, the, the aftermath of the party is, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, at it at awe. Okay. They are uh, canceling everyone who attended the, not everyone, but uh, some people, some powerful people, politicians got off easy, uh, got off as if they did not attend the party. Okay. Uh, the public uh, figures, the public people who whose faces um, were photographed, videotaped, and, you know, the, the, those photos spread everywhere. They're being canceled right now. And um, the organizer of the party, uh, Nastya Ivleyeva, she's being criminally investigated. She's facing five years in prison. And that's serious. It's not jokes anymore. She's being charged with... Um, uh, spread or propaganda of extremism. You know, this law was just signed by Vladimir Putin a couple of weeks ago that uh, completely uh, forbade LGTB plus and uh, made it extremism. And even mentioning uh, is, is now a crime in Russia. If someone uh, performs coming out, that's, that's a crime, okay? And these people who were at the party, the, most of them support the war. Most of them work for the Russian government. Most of them make money from the concerts that are allowed to be performed in Russia. Uh, some of them even visited um, Donetsk, Lugansk, the new territories, the annexed territories. Uh, and now the propaganda, the state is getting back at them. That's one more time. What goes around comes around. Okay. Perfect example. And that happened very, very quick. Now, another thing is um, the reaction is very strange. Uh, it was a private party by invitation only. It was not televised. Uh, there were a few people got together and then they did whatever they wanted to do. Okay. There was press invited there, which I find rather odd. There were... Uh, reporters actually invited into the party as well. So maybe they didn't think what they were doing was in any you know way wrong. Do you know who organized wrong. the party? Mm -hmm. Do you know who so organized Ivlieva the party? It's herself, no. isn't it? No. No. MTS. That's a company that sponsored Ivlieva. That was the organizer. And then after this uh, stinky substance hit the fan, they... Uh, kind of uh, isolated that ejected themselves from the picture like they had nothing to do with that there were pictures of a vice president <laughs> half naked at that party of uh, this company mts the mobile mobile services uh, provider and now they're uh, erasing all his pictures okay they were the first ones who canceled Ivleva. <laughs> so that's not so straightforward okay um they, um, according to Vladimir Putin, everything is going well in Russia. Economy is doing fantastic. Russia has withstood the, all the sanctions pressure. Russian economy is growing. Russian army is victorious. It's uh, doing whatever it's doing. I mean, I'm not sure how victorious because it's not moving anywhere except for backwards, but it's victorious. That's the official party line. 
why do you care if people do whatever they want to do? Uh, if everything is great, then fine. Then the, the freedoms should prevail in Russia, right? Then people, that's what people are fighting for. For citizens, they can do anything they want to. Instead, <laughs> these uh, guys are being canceled. It's not like I like them personally. I don't. But what I'm seeing is uh, also early birds of chaos that is descending. This is like um, a command to everyone, you know, go and fight the enemies of the state. And the enemies can be anyone now. Uh, and it's for the FSB, it's for the you know police, and it's for re regular people who are going to be writing denunciations letters now. So um, <laughs> that's what I, I think this is. The whole thing is crazy. And in case anyone gets the wrong interpretation of this, I don't believe these people are being punished because of any kind of morality. And that might be the superficial reason used, but we know that um, most of the senior leadership who have their own palaces, Putin included, one of the sort of things we learned about, uh, you know, the palace at uh, Gelinjikir, is that there was a you know there was a a pole dancing room and, and all sorts of you know potentially sordid spaces in there so we know that actually they don't give a damn about morality this isn't what's going on here is it this is a move to remind everybody that if they have status if they have money power prestige of any sort they don't own it it's leased by the state and they need to remember that the state can take that away at any time and i think is this is this what's going on here it's to remind everybody that essentially they are part of the sistema and if they step outside of it or if they deviate from their script that's been given to them nobody is immune nobody has power as an independent agent they take it and take it even further even if they don't step outside the script the script uh even they they if they stay within the you know uh the borders so to speak even then they're not safe even then they can be punished at any time to be made an example to the others okay <laughs> this is what i think partially is happening here yes i mean it's 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 those bulldogs again under the rug um biting, biting uh, i remind each you other. none of those people none of those people said anything negative about the war in ukraine they all support they all propaganda voices they all work for the government they all paid by by the government okay they didn't do anything to upset anyone except they threw a party that became public knowledge and again, it's not like celebrities in the West. I mean, we have a whole range of talentless celebrities, right? We have, and this is some people have been trying to compare it to, uh, you know, the um, the sort of, you know, lower tier celebrities you can get here as well. But I think there's a fundamental difference here. You know, you can be talentless here, but you can disagree with the government at the same time and, and, and no one will really cancel you. What I find interesting about, this whole host of Russian celebrities, many of them will appear in these, you know, fairly tacky end of year, New Year shows and so on. And as you say, they will, a lot of them will appear in Donetsk and so on. First of all, they owe their privilege and status to their loyalty 
their willingness to be loyal to the regime. That is the number one criteria. You, you don't meet that, you don't appear anywhere or get concerts anywhere. The second criteria is nepotism. Most of them will have got their positions not through working their way up through some system of meritocratic talent and so on. Many of them will have got their positions through their seat, their network, their connections. And some of them might incidentally be talented. I mean, I love them art. Some of them might incidentally be talented as well. Um, so this is this is this again is part of the whole charade, the system, the sort of entire fake panoply of uh, celebrity. Oh, I agree with you. Yes. Uh, Russian world of celebrities is really small and uh, money there only comes from the government or the government controls whether you can be a part of that world or not. Okay. And you have to pledge your allegiance to the government and that's what they did. And you're absolutely right. They, many of them, uh, do whatever they do through connections, not due to their talent. Um, I agree with you here. In that group of people who were at that naked self, uh, half naked party, <laughs> I don't have one single person who I actually like, who is talented, uh, who I watch and listen. You know, not single one. That's uh, that that says a lot about your taste there. I think uh, you know, so excellent taste. Then, well, let's let's get on to let's get on to the final segment here because I know you made a bunch of predictions for twenty twenty three. We've already discussed, you know, some of them. Uh, some have come to pass, some not. Some are perhaps a little bit delayed in terms of the collapse of the economy. If I can ask you, you know, which of those predictions, uh, you know, were, were turned out to be some of the most important ones, and then finally. Let's get your ideas of what's going to unfold in the next 12 months, because it seems at this point that anything could happen. Um, but what can we say with any degree of certainty? Um, let's talk about 2023 first. Well, the biggest, uh, I'll tell you wh where I was wrong, okay? Because uh, there are a few, few, few things I was wrong about. Uh, my biggest wrong prediction was about Vladimir Putin be out of the office by the end of the year. I was hoping <laughs> I was, I had a gut feeling that he's on the way out. Uh, I kept on saying that, well, it's um, the end of the year. He's still in the office in the Kremlin. I still have a feeling that he's going to go soon one way or another. I don't know how uh, he could step down by himself. Uh, there's a possibility, also very slight, but there's a possibility to give the place to the throne to the successor. Okay, that's a planned operation. Or if he, you know, will stay and keep on hanging to the power, the situation is getting out of control. The, the ground is, you know, is, is shaking under his 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 feet, uh, and. Um, he will lose control over the country, and that's going to happen soon. So that was my first prediction. The second prediction was the economy. Um, I thought that the economy would be in much worse shape than it is right now. Um, I understand why, what happened, why I turned out to be wrong. Um, Russia managed to circumvent 
some sanctions and received extra income from exporting oil and it also used the situation in that is happening in, in, in Israel and Palestine to its own advantage. Perhaps it even took some kind of part of instigating it. I don't know, but um, you know, it's awfully suspicious what happened. Um it really benefited Russia. But it didn't change anything fundamentally for the economy. It prolonged um the situation. So I think that um even worse collapse than I previously expected is going to be happening in 2024. Um, I also was uh, wrong on a few things, such as I thought that YouTube was uh, going to be banned in Russia, blocked. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's on the way to be blocked, and there are rumors it will be blocked uh, at the end of 24. As long as they figure out how they can technically do that, uh, they will do that. And, uh, you know, they already have an alternative to YouTube, which is called VK. It's a Russian platform, Russian website, filled with Russian media. <laughs> okay, they've been busy creating videos so for people to entertain. So now they can easily switch from YouTube to VK. But it's not so easy technically to block YouTube. Um, you know, things like that. Um, I was right on quite a few things. I predicted Prigozhin's mutiny and uh, the rise of private armies and things like that, you know. And for the 2024... Um, there are two major predictions. Um, they're general. First is economy is going to be declining. No matter what Putin says, no matter what Russian officials say, no matter what some even some economists say, Russian economy is on the decline, on the very steep and a very long decline. That's going to last for years, perhaps decades. And um, I think that date to uh, watch, the month to watch is April. We will start seeing real big changes in April. And the changes will come um, with exchange uh, rate, devaluing of Russian ruble. I expect the devaluation to start in April, perhaps even in late March. The prices for everything will be going up. It's going to be absolutely crazy. There will be shortages, not because, uh, you know, Russian farmers don't grow much, but the, there'll be um, shortages of cheap stuff. Okay. And then people that will, will definitely see uh, food lines, more, many more of them in Russia. Um, I also expect the West taking much firmer. Uh, tougher steps to monitor sanctions, how sanctions are being um, carried out and catching companies that are helping Russia to circumvent sanctions and punishing them. Um, and that's going to be lessons to others. And I think Russia will have more and more troubles to export oil and natural gas. Obviously, you need pipelines for that. So um and i still think that vladimir putin is going to be on the way out one way or another i don't know how that's what i think is going to happen is the general things going to happen in 2024 the trends 
I think that's entirely plausible. I also think that the overly pessimistic uh, media that we've seen in the West in 2023 about Ukraine and its achievements, I think it will be proven wrong, as in the strike on the Novocherkask and some very underreported strikes that happened recently, but the Baikal uh, Amor tunnel being being uh, sort of bombed. I don't know if that's in use yet. Um, also, a space communication center in Crimea was hit. There are some extraordinary things taking place, some of which don't get much coverage in the Western media. I would predict myself that there's going to be an increase in the fairly high-profile strikes that, uh, that are going to be happening there. I think Britain. They've already announced they'll be supplying more air defense missiles in the wake of the major attack yesterday. I think behind the scenes, we'll see more storm shadows and more capability delivered to Ukraine, which is going to give them incredible uh, capabilities. My prediction as well is that as Putin's struggle to win on the battlefield fails, he will once more turn to information warfare. And I think we are going to see an intensity of information and propaganda warfare in the West, the like of which we have not seen yet. In fact, we already see the early signs of assets, agents, agents within academia, the media, useful idiots. We see them being activated all over the place. And we see some shockingly bad narratives appearing, especially in the US media, but in the media all over Europe, the US and the West. And you know, you could call me a conspiracy theorist, but behind a lot of it, I see, uh, you know, the Kremlin uh, really spreading its narratives and trying to amplify its narratives to weaken support for Ukraine. I don't think that will be in the end effective. Uh, at least I hope not. Jonathan, one one more thing I would like to add for 2024. The very, very general thing to watch in Russia is mercury rising russia will become more and more feverish things like uh perhaps local protests things like food lines in different provinces things like shortages of things things of uh, things like uh, students perhaps protesting will be breaking out in different times and in different Russia is a large country in different provinces and different territories. And then you will be getting a uh, feeling that Russia is feverish and it's it, the fever is rising. Okay. And uh, I think that will be the biggest, biggest um, trend for 2024. And if any decision makers are listening to this, that is not the point to ease up on support for Ukraine. It's the point to double down and push to make that fever rise, because only by that fever breaking, I think, is there going to be change both within Russia and, and of course, a chance of the war ending. And, um, you know, this war is, 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 is killing Ukrainians. It's also killing a vast number of Russians. So... Yeah, if we can end this war, if we can even force the collapse of Putin's regime, we'll not only be saving Russian, uh, Ukrainian lives, we'll actually be saving Russian lives as well, is my belief. Konstantin, it's been okay. a huge pleasure, as always, speaking to you, even though the topics are incredibly uh, dark. Um, 
it's been a huge privilege throughout the year to be able to have these conversations. I do very much look forward to continuing them into the new year and helping to, you know, inform and keep people engaged with this incredibly important subject. Jonathan, thank you so much for having me. Um, I like your channel very much. I like, uh, I watch interviews. I learn uh, many interesting things from, from your interviews and um, I wish everyone who come here and uh, comes here and, and talks to you, good luck in 2024. I wish all the viewers good luck and you all the best too. And I hope that we continue in the next year.